Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, you know what? This week, I just want to get straight into it with you. Is that okay with you? Is that plan all right? Uh, straight into the podcast we do together or something or something straight more specific? Straight into the hard-hitting questions. Okay. Are you ready? Usually, I throw you a softball up top, you know, like a hypothetical that's very easy for you to come up with a, you know, like a politically correct answer, but I'm going to hit you with something heavier today. Okay, sure. I'm, I'm what ready. What position, gun to your head, you have to fill a position on the Biden presidential cabinet has to be filled by Rob Manfred. What position are you giving our friend, Mr. Manfred? I genuinely can't name more than like three positions in a presidential oh cabinet. Take anyway. a fucking civics class, my guy. Um, what? What does it matter? I didn't elect them. I don't know. What are they doing for me? <laughs> you know who elected them? Freaking Goldman Sachs. <laughs> um. Now, is this is this the 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 place in which I think he would do the best job for like me? As in, like, given my politics, I'm saying I'm going to put you given here. Given your politics, Alex Baisley's politics. Chart yourself on the what is it? The political compass. Chart yourself <laughs> on the political compass by telling me which department you want Rob Manfred to helm. This is what people come here for, Alex. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, He's like scrolling through the Wikipedia page, seeing what the different departments of our government are right now. Of course, that's people exactly listening. what I'm doing. You know, I mean, there there is no good answer here because half of these he's wholly unqualified for, and the other half I know like he's probably incredibly qualified for and that really scares me like i don't mm. want him coming anywhere yeah, near the department of labor you know like yeah. <laughs> um i suppose like you could factor in justice in here too he could be attorney general he is a lawyer yeah, uh yeah that's yeah that's true that, that might fall into the too qualified category <laughs> let's talk it through what are your what are your final options well you know, initially I was I was leaning towards like a national intelligence uh agency. Um I think it'd be good at that because man is that guy good at pretending he's telling you something without actually saying anything. That feels like it's a useful, you know, if you're in you can tell the American people, you'd be like uh today we uh we conducted a covert operation uh filled with uh operationals and directives that came uh, from the commander-in-chief that successfully allocated resources um, in various parts of the world that were uh, uh, successfully covert in their uh, operatives. <laughs> and like, that's it. That's, that's, all, that's all you got to say. Um, I think where I'll land on this um, is with the uh, Secretary of the Interior. Mm. Uh, 
mostly Defined choice something yeah. that most people don't know what that is right exactly um so they manage the uh you know the the conservation of federal land and natural resources and most of this is cuz i'm just hoping he kind of gets lost out there <laughs> um you know he's just walking through yosemite and his guide just ducks behind a tree yeah i think that'd be an effective uh, means I thought you were going with mostly because I hope that we could institute a policy where we put a baseball field in every national park. Just one baseball field. You got to find it. You right. Know, you're exactly. walking through Yosemite looking for the ballpark, trying to get a little pickup game and a little sandlot action. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what our national parks need is a fucking massive Pave it down, lot put some right dirt. in the middle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Do you have a do you have a choice? Have you thought about this? Where no, would you put them? No, why would I think about this before asking you? That's the benefit of being the asker. So you right. don't have to actually answer it. Gotcha, gotcha. Where okay. do I where would I put him? Yeah. I don't know, in a closet somewhere in the White House, but if I had to choose, no, or, you have to put him in the cabinet, not in the closet. Uh I think maybe a more interesting version of this question is where would he actually end up? Like if, you know, say a hypothetical consulting firm, hypothetically named McKinsey, or hypothetically named Deloitte, was involved in placing Rob Manfred in Biden's transitional cabinet appointees. Where would I think that they would put them, hypothetically speaking? You already nailed, you already hit the nail on the head, hypothetically speaking. It's labor. <laughs> Which is right, yeah. <laughs> you put the most like hawkish anti-labor person in the Department of Labor, naturally. Because it's the government side. They're the enemy. Uh, <laughs> that is true. Uh, I, I can't really tell you very much about the successes or failures of the uh, Secretary of Labor as of late. I'm not going to lie, which maybe that's, um, you know, maybe that's tipping my hand too much on this podcast and I shouldn't be sharing that information with the listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, Are you aware of the fact that the current secretary of labor is the literal son of Antonin Scalia. Is that news to you right here on this podcast? (laughs) It's like news to me, but is it shocking to me? (laughs) Not even in the slightest. I'm like, wow. Yeah, that actually, that feels perfect. Uh, Wow, strong anti-government sentiment on this podcast in the first five minutes. We have an interview coming up with the wonderful Clinton Yates. Alex and I are going to hit on a couple topics before then. We are, the dragon energy is flowing through our veins of the $900 billion stimulus package that won't make it anywhere near either of our bank accounts. I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Baisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Okay, Alex. We have a few news items to talk about before we get to our conversation with Clinton Yates. Clinton is, many of you probably know already, a writer at The Undefeated, a panelist at Around the Horn. We talked to him about his piece in The Undefeated about the official recognition by Major League Baseball of the collective Negro Leagues, which are made up of Seven different leagues between 1920 and 1948, the Negro National League, the Eastern Color League, the American Negro League, the East-West League, the Negro Southern League, the Negro National League, and the Negro American League. These were previously excluded from the 
from Major League Baseball, many of you will know listening already, from the statistics and the record books, the official MLB statistics and record books, they will now be formally combined into those record books. Whatever has been officially assembled um, since this study in 2006 um, to be put together into this thing called the Seam Heads Negro Leagues Database will now be formally recognized by Major League Baseball. There are a lot of complicating factors to this, and there are a lot of hegemonic undertones from MLB going on, and we're going to get into all of that with Clinton. Um, I hope that you guys stick around and enjoy that conversation with him. He's wonderful. Um, we did not touch on the other biggest news of the last week, Alex, and that is that the Cleveland baseball team announced that they are going to transition away from their racist name, much like they have transitioned away from their racist mascot, Chief Wahoo. And much how they've transitioned away from being competitive. So, you know, <laughs> many superstars <laughs> over the last several decades. Um, although not without incredible incompetence on the way. So, I don't know. To summarize the incompetence of a Dolan, Paul Dolan in this instance, would take probably longer than I want to take talking about this. Um, so, I'll just try to do it very briefly. They announced that they were going to change the name, or that rather they leaked that they were going to change the name. And then a whole conversation cycle happened about it on baseball Twitter. And then two days later, I believe, they officially came out and released a statement that said, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not changing it in 2021. That would involve a lot of stuff that we clearly didn't prepare for. I am not reading from the statement in case you couldn't tell from my tone. We're going to try to change it by 2022. Mark it down in pencil, not pen, please. So effectively, what's going on, Alex? And this is where I will turn it to you for your wonderful insight here into the uh, inner workings of billion-dollar baseball teams. Is that they're giving a, a retirement tour to the racist name? What say you? Um, it sounds like the owners got together and had I don't know, like an unconscious bias training this weekend. Um, that's my first thought. They were just like, you know, let's knock this out in one fell swoop. We'll get the Cleveland baseball name out of here. Sure, Negro leagues, whatever. They're the major leagues now. I don't really give a shit. Make them. They're the same. Uh, and then they can go home and they say, hey, look. We did our job. It's uh, it's done. We're we're no longer uh, there's there's not a racist bone in any of our bodies. Um, the the cynical part of me uh, for a moment thought that um, the announcements could have been timed. There is almost no way that the people in the front in uh, in Major League Baseball's you know front office didn't know that the Cleveland team was going to make this decision and probably vice versa. Um, and I, I, is it too tinfoil hat to think that they made the Cleveland baseball team announcement and then a couple days later said, Negro Leagues announcement, much fanfare, forget about the, the other thing that was poorly handled and that we're not even really going to address for the next year. I don't think it's too tinfoil hat. I do think that there's not really like a collective benefit to announcing them at the same time. If anything, like the Negro leagues thing coming later kind of shortened the cycle of people being 
mad about the Cleveland baseball team, but I think that the I think that Paul Dolan, I think that the whole Cleveland organization thought that this was a PR win with how they approached it. So I think that what they effectively ended up doing worked out for them in the aggregate and that they shortened the window of people being angry about the name change being rolled out poorly. But really what they were intending to do is shorten the window of people being happy about that thing because that's what they thought people were going to be grateful. But then wouldn't they want to let, you know, let let them revel in that for a while, right? And be like, maybe hey, they thought that they were building, you know, maybe they <laughs> thought they were like, this is the week of inclusivity. Says yeah. says we, says I. You know, leave it Major League Baseball is so good at this. Like, and I say this without an ounce of irony. They are really, really good at finding ways to kind of piss off people on both sides. Yeah. Cause that old adage about all- compromise. <laughs> you have a whole segment of Cleveland baseball fans who are like, well, this is fucking bullshit. This is yeah, this history is, right here. This is PC culture run amok. Yeah, exactly. And yet you somehow managed to also piss off the people you were trying to appease by making this change, by starting this conversation. And the same thing happened with the Negro Leagues, right? Which was, hey, look at us. We're doing this really great thing. We're now going to pat ourselves on the back so hard that we're just going to, I don't know, push ourselves down the stairs, right? Like, yeah. I <laughs> sprain our elbow. Need Tommy Chan. Um, I think you're right. I mean, I think like, and we'll get into this with, I think we get very, very deep into this with Clinton. So at the risk of stepping on that to talk about Cleveland, like, I think what ends up happening is that the people who are predisposed to be cynical about what MLB does, or like, if you want to expand it, like what any large institution does, those people are going to be cynical and unless you show them a real reckoning, a real reconciliation, a real atonement for what you did for decades and what you actively perpetuated for decades, then like most people are just going to think of it as a cynical action. And I don't want to be that cynical necessarily off the jump, but I feel like MLB kind of forces us to be because it's not like Cleveland changed their name out of the goodness of their hearts really you know, i like, thought they the had unconscious to be, bias training really got through to paul Dole, it, it and nailed he just had him a right through <laughs> i mean it was the silver bullet right through that guy no i like they they had to be forced to change chief wahoo against their will they still sell merch for it they donate an, an unknown amount of the profits from that they never said they fo- fully donate all of the profits and they never really enumerated where it was to but whatever we'll leave that aside for now And then with this, they're saying like, yeah, we're going to do it for another year. We'll continue to sell merch so we can keep the trademark and we will donate some of the profits for that as well. Yeah, they wanted. It's not really like you're leading with your best foot forward. And also, we can't leave out the part of this where the Washington football team just recently changed because their main sponsor FedEx was like, we're not going to sponsor you anymore. Like, it's not like Cleveland didn't see that. And it just so happens that you did this one off season after that really makes you think it really makes you wonder. I hope it really makes everybody wonder. Yeah. I mean, and you know, if like capitalistic pressures are the things that force owners to make these changes, then like, you know, far be it from me to (laughs) complain about that. But yeah, it it doesn't seem like there was um, any sort of collective awakening really on 
in regards to either conversation, in regards to Cleveland or in regards to the Negro Leagues, it more kind of felt like the pressure has gotten too high. We're going to start alienating people. We got to do something to quell the masses a little bit, right? We got to bring in Negro League stats and quote unquote elevate the status of the leagues, right? Um, and, you know, obviously in doing so, they stepped on people's toes and I think pissed a lot of people off, rightfully. Uh, but I think they're also willing to wear that, right? They're willing to wear um, people yelling about Cleveland using the name for another year. Because, I don't know, people have a short attention span. And, like, ultimately, people are going to relent because you don't have much of a choice, honestly. I mean, if you are a fan of this team, all you can do is just kind of say, well, fuck, I'm going to try and push you to be better. Um, And I I think that that's really where they're coming from, from this, is saying, yeah, we'll make these incremental steps because... That's the only thing we know? Yeah. As long as it doesn't threaten the business. Yeah. I want to say, I guess, in wrapping up this conversation, because, you know, there are a million other places that you should be reading smart opinions about this specific thing and the Negro Leagues as well. And obviously, you should be reading Clinton's piece before you ever even get to that segment in this podcast if you haven't already. Um, The last thing I'll say on this is that far be it for us and our cynicism about how MLB operates and how large billion-dollar corporations, which is what baseball teams are, operate to take away at all from the activists who have been protesting names and and racist indigenous representations in sports for decades, since before we were even alive. Far be it for our cynicism to take away from that. I, d- I don't want that at all. And I, I'm honestly really happy for all of those people. And I'm really happy for Cleveland baseball fans who don't have to be surrounded by this and who don't have to propagate this because of where they were born or because of the team that they were passed down generations with or because they love Frankie Lindor for whatever reason they're a Cleveland baseball fan. Um, It's not their fault that Paul Dolan just decided to dig his heels in on this really racist thing. And so I'm really happy for those people. And I said this on Twitter, but I'll say it again because it actually struck a chord with me the night of the this news breaking. You know, when I was growing up, in our fall ball or in little league or whatever, when you have an eight team league, oftentimes that league chooses eight MLB team names to name the teams after. And you wear the colors. Like I was on the pirates one year and then I was on the Phillies one year, you know, and then I was on the brewers one year or whatever it might be. You randomly get assigned a team. This just took a racist name out of the running for things like that. And that has a tangible impact on the next generation of kids coming up and the generation of kids after that in having to understand why one year there was a racist team name from Cleveland and the next year there wasn't or why their older sibling played for a racist team name in Cleveland and why they don't anymore. And they're the reds now, or they're the white Sox now or whatever it might be. So I do think there is tangible impact at the end of all of this. So, you know, if there is any optimism to take out of something like this, even though they're they're fucking it up as per usual. I think that's it. Yeah, and, and I think the important thing is that the conversation doesn't stop here, right? I mean, we had on Sean Gibson um, just a couple weeks ago, and and that feels like that dovetails quite nicely with this in saying, yes, and, 
to the Negro Leagues. Yes, we can include them in the official record or whatever, but it doesn't stop there. Yes, we can name the MVP award after Josh Gibson, but it doesn't stop there. This has to be attacked from from all sides, and it's something that you know, I think you and I included need to kind of keep centering, which is not something I think that is always most apparent or or at our forefront. Um, but I think at least for me, this has really woken me up to a lot of the um, a lot of MLB's blind spots when it comes to the Negro Leagues. It's like they really just laid it out on a platter for us. They sure did, as they know how to do so well to themselves. Um, one more thing that I want to talk about with you before we bring Clinton in is there's like a little bit of a conversation bubbling up on Twitter. And if you kind of read the tea leaves from both sides of how the labor conversation is shaping up to be uh, in this upcoming 2021 season. And I like to think of this kind of thing as our specialty, Alex, which is um, kind of blindly theorizing about what the union thinks and blindly theorizing <laughs> about what the owners think about what we blindly theorize that the union thinks. So allow me to quickly lay out the issue that I think is going to be at the forefront. And that is the length of the season. And I think it's going to get really messy because I think both sides are going to do damage control about this. But essentially what's going to happen is the owners are going to say, Hey, we want to play 120 games or whatever that number ends up being. Because we think that people will have the vaccine by then. We'd love to have fans back. It'll help us with our revenue. It'll help us with the losses that we incurred from 2020. And also, you know, we love having fans here, blah, 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 which is not true from the owner's perspective, but it sounds good in an article from a media reporter who's friendly to owners. Um, and the players are going to say, hey, we want to play 162 games or we want to be paid for 162 games because that's the player's right. I just want to say early on in all of this, it's December 21st as we record this. The Major League Baseball CBA says that there are 162 games in the season and that is what players get paid. It doesn't say anything about fans being in the stands. It doesn't say anything about a pandemic other than the force majeure clause, which the owners have not chosen to take and blow up the entire CBA, which I think is still their legal right if they want to do that. It would be devastating for us as fans if they did that and it would be stupid and bad, but that's their legal right and that's what we're talking about right now. If the owners want to shorten the season, they have to come to the players and say, hey, we'll pay you for the full season because that is what we agree to do come rain or come shine. Or they'll, they have to say, hey, are you willing to concede something because we have to concede something here because it was completely unforeseen circumstances from this pandemic, which we thought would be over in a couple months. That is the only, those are the only two options. Like there's no owners feel like paying for 120 games or owners are sad about not having fans in the stands or owners didn't expect this to go on as long. Like that's not part of the CBA. I've read it. <laughs> it doesn't say anything about any of that stuff. How many games they play is directly tied to what the compensation for the players are. And the reason that you unionize is so you can protect things like compensation and workplace safety. So getting out really early ahead of the, the, terribleness that is going to be this offseason to get my take out about the fact that the owners are already full of shit. Well, I certainly hope they're talking about those things right now because if you will recall over the summer, there was a lot of back and forth and you could argue that maybe that back and forth was even contrived by a party because they wanted 
a shortened season or because they wanted to force the hands of the other party. I'm not going to say the parties here. Um, you know, leave Fill that up the to the, to the uh, listeners' imagination. To our wonderful listeners and their intellectual curiosities. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, there's no reason that they can't hammer out a deal. And realistically, there's no reason that the players can't get paid what they should be paid. I mean, you know, who's to say whether or not we have packed stadiums in 2021? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we're going to in March or April, uh, but we are going to trend towards that. And I would encourage people to approach what to take what the owners say with a grain of salt. I mean, you know, we they they talked a lot of shit about how much money they lost in 2020. And a lot of it was BS and they're going to run it back for 2021. Yeah, even more so. Even more so. Um <laughs> Likely regardless of whether or not fans are in the stands. Yes. Um, So I think you hit the nail on the head that it's something worth getting out in front of and saying, we know what's coming down the pipeline from their end. And it's, it's largely on us as fans and as people who talk about these things to call them on their bullshit real early before things spiral out of control and they're able to control the narrative. Yeah, and like I want to say this is the system that the owners like in all other instances. You know, it's like this cold naked approach to business where it's just like this is how it is. Tough shit. And when that burden falls on the worker like it does every offseason when owners are not handing out free agent contracts. This is how it is. Tough shit. You're not as good as you were at 32. You're not as, you're not as good at 32 as you were at 24. Tough shit. It's just tough marketplace. Hate to see it. Economy's down. Don't have enough money to just hand out for free. Sorry. That's the cold hard business of capitalism in this world. They're all fine with that. You know, like they're like, this is great. And they're like high-fiving in the owner suites. And then when it turns out that a pandemic hits and it hits really hard on the businesses side. They have to make a decision about how they want to handle that. And unfortunately, the decision that a lot of businesses have made or have been forced to make in the case of smaller businesses is they've just cut all their employees. And we've seen MLB do that with all of the nameless members of the baseball world, with all of the people who work concessions, with all of the people who work in the stadiums, who work in sales, who work in marketing and communications and social media, these people have been laid off by billion-dollar companies owned by multi-multi-billionaires. Five, ten, fourteen in the case of Steve Cohen, times over. I mean, Cohen has not laid people off. It's not what I'm saying. But that's the type of money that is in the system. And so, yeah, they're taking losses based on what their expectations were. But like isn't that just what it means to own a business in this country? Like, isn't that what they're telling every bootstrapping young mom and pop shop owner on the street corner? It's like, oh, some years you have good years and some years you have bad years. Isn't that the fucking American lore that we've been taught, Alex? Like, oh, took a loss this year. Oh, you took a loss to go to college, but that, that'll help you out in the future. Like, owners, you, you took a loss in 2020. Pandemic, rough year. Hate to see it. Your franchise is still skyrocketing. 
you could still sell it for twice what you bought it and come out a billionaire or come out a three billionaire, five billionaire, six billionaire if you're the Wilpons. Like, you're doing all right. And so for them to just like do this whole song and dance every single time they get the opportunity, it's just exhausting. And it's like draining the life out of the sport because this is all we can talk about. This is all anyone can talk about. And it's making people who are like casually interested completely detached from the sport. It's making people who have a second option like basketball or football or whatever it might be or no sports in general see that second option as a lot more interesting. And I think that's a shame. Speak on it. (laughs) Owners, open up the books. Last thing. Open up the books for sure, obviously. Last thing. From a public health perspective, the players are stupid if they actually won 162 games. That's not good for anyone involved, including them and their families. But from a labor negotiating perspective, it's weird and it's ugly, but they have to be like, we have to get paid We have to play or get paid for the full 162 games. That's just what the contract says. Sorry. We sat down for years debating this contract for hours and hours and hours at a time. Can you tell that I've been involved in debating one of these contracts? Like, this is just what it says. That's why why we spent so much time and had so many lawyers look at it. Facts. Okay. Should we get to our conversation with Glenn Yates? Let's do it. Okay, it is now our privilege to be joined by Clinton Yates, writer at the Undefeated, panelist at Around the Horn, defender of the minor leagues in all places. Clinton, hello. What's up, gang? How are we doing this morning? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm well. You know, West Coast, early time. Got my tea, though, so I'm chilling. We're bright and early West Coast time. We're recording this at 8 a.m. West Coast time, so we appreciate that. You got, you got all the unfiltered takes here. You know, you're still wiping the sleep out of your eyes. Your brain hasn't processed what oh, my brain processes pretty quickly, Playboy. It doesn't take <laughs> long if going to trigger, you know. Uh, I am the opposite. I actually it takes me a long time to wake up to get my brain processing, but I'm I, a morning person, so you know, that's how that goes. I might sound different, but we're we're good. Um, Clinton, you wrote a piece in the Undefeated uh, last week when the news, I guess the biggest news of last week, even though there's kind of been a little bit of a deluge of news with the Cleveland name change and among other things, but you wrote a piece uh, for the Undefeated titled MLB Elevating the Status of Negro Leagues is the Problem, Not the Solution. I want to, if we can start really quickly um, with the MLB statement itself and sort of the jarring feeling of this news breaking all of a sudden and the MLB putting out this statement that seems not well considered to say the least is weirdly on their website along with like the seven biggest trade rumors and comes into the baseball slipstream. I want to start with a John Thorne quote because I think it's the part of the statement that gets closest to acknowledging what they did wrong with this sort of like blase tone and feeling. So he said the perceived deficiencies of the Negro league structure and scheduling were born of MLB's exclusionary practices and denying them major league status has been a double penalty, much like that exacted Hall of Fame candidates prior to Satchel Page induction in 1971. When you when you read that statement, was there any part of it that to you seemed like they got it, understood what they were acknowledging by, as you wrote in your piece, elevating the stats of the Negro Leagues? Um, I thought his particular quote was the most off base in terms of like 
the distance between what he thinks he's saying and what's actually being said. Um, yeah, it might have gotten closest to acknowledging what the errors were, but like, like read it again. Can you read that first sentence again for me? Pardon, because I'm trying to think of the one part that messed me up, but I just don't have it at hand. The perceived deficiencies of the Negro League structure and scheduling were born that of MLB's right exclusionary practices. That exactly. right there. The perceived deficiencies of the scheduling and whatever. And you're like, well, hold on. Perceived by whom? And like, that was never really... I, I just... It's such an indication of coming from the standpoint of like power and privilege that it's it's blind to the notion that that assertion off rip is just wrong. You know what I'm saying? That it's the concept of perceived deficiencies that I think that historians don't understand. They don't always make the rules on just because they might control or discuss or determine what makes the proverbial books. Um, most people who have more than just the bigs in their daily baseball diet or their yearly baseball diet understand that the concept of deficiencies is just not a thing. I mean, there are different levels of league play, but to insinuate that it's lesser than is the issue. You know what I mean? There's no, okay, well, here was the perceived problem. Here's how we're fixing. It's like, no, 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 no. Why were you perceiving it that way? to begin with. And let's start with that discussion as opposed to what he gets around to and the end, which is saying that it's extremely satisfying. You know, yeah, for, profoundly for, gratifying, profoundly yeah. gratifying. Excuse me. That's even worse than I was having in my mind. <laughs> yeah. like, gratifying to whom and profound. How like that, that, that didn't even make sense to me. And I was just, I remember when I first read that, I was like, yo, are they not joking? But I was like, how are they even, how do you even say something like that? when you're in a position of righting a wrong to say it's gratifying to yourself is just that. And that's where the last line of the thing came from. I'm like, yo, this is not a, you're welcome situation. This is an, I'm sorry situation. And yeah. that thorn quote just didn't, I, I, it was just a clear indication of the misunderstanding. And I felt, I felt kind of bad too, because it was obvious that they thought that this was going to be received in a way that was purely all positive. But all the verbiage that came out around it was an indication of what was actually wrong. That was actually not what was actually going to be better. And I, and I want to say, like, the fact that it, that sentence, the one that you highlighted, the first the first sentence of his quote, bo born of MLB's exclusionary practices, like the the meta textual subtextual idea of that coming from John Thorne, the baseball historian, like almost distancing the current MLB from that. And right it coming from was born from the exclusionary practices. Well, like that, that was your chance to reckon with it. And I feel like they just missed it. The amount yeah, of pass, well, passive language in this right, statement that's, is that's wild. the main thing born of like, yo, what? Like, first of all, it was America's problem and MLB made it worse. I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't necessarily know. I mean, listen, white folks went to Negro league games reminder. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not as if, People weren't allowed to watch these games. You know what I'm saying? I think there's a massive misunderstanding about how all of this kind of occurs and processes in general. And it's almost like, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to say this about Thorne personally, but it's one of those things where sometimes you hear things from people that are of a certain age and from a certain place. And you just ask yourself, like, legit, yo, like, do you know any black people? You know what I'm saying? Because your whole situation in terms of how you're presenting yourself is an indication that maybe 
you you literally just don't understand what was happening in people's lives at that time. And that's not a, a knock on Thor specifically. But again, that language, you're right, born of exclusionary practices, like, what? You know what I'm saying? Like, how, do you talk to regular humans like this? This doesn't even, this doesn't even make sense. And I'm not trying to be flip. I'm just yeah, saying yeah. that like, when I read that, I was, I was genuinely taken aback um, by how not even off base, but just misguided. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that in a wayward way. Um, a lot of, a lot of this, a lot of this language was. Yeah. They, they use the words, um, error, uh, oversight, um, backdrop of injustice is what Rob Manfred said, which is my personal favorite. Cause I'm backdrop just like, what of is injustice? <laughs> yeah. Like, what is that? Like, <laughs> sounds like a superhero thing. Hi, yeah. I'm Batman. <laughs> Here to defend the world against a backdrop of injustice. <laughs> What's that? I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of like I get it. There's a lot of corporate language that goes into a lot of things simply because it's easier, I think, in the context of if you're not really going to do that much work. You yeah, know, but like, what, what if for once there wasn't? You know, like, what if for once they actually came out and chose a topic that they need to choose and cut the corporate bullshit out of it and actually spoke. Honestly, about yeah, what I they mean, did. That's if what they I mean. Spoke you know? Honestly, you might not want to hear what they actually have to say, though. I mean, that's another thing to consider. I think that's, I mean, yeah, I think that's the, the point. Part. Is though, is just that it's not just about speaking honestly. It's about if you speak honestly, you get to a point where you can probably do more honest things. And in this case, you know, leveling statistics is is, I guess, great, but that only serves the kind of people who care about that. Like, I don't care about. Jimmy Fox versus Cool Papa Bell. I I don't. You know what I mean? Like that's not a thing to me. And I'm as big a baseball fan as there is on the globe. You know what I mean? Like so equating. I, like that was the other part about this. It was kind of also like, sorry guys, this is actually not that cool in a practical baseball sense. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't. I have no usage day to day for me, and that's just me speaking personally of like how stats added up versus one another. I mean, the points are that the culture of the game being not lifted and celebrated on the same level as things like, I don't know, Mark McGuire hitting Big Mac signs in St. Louis. You know what I mean? Like if you can't sort of act as if the history of baseball, not major league baseball, but just baseball is important to the product of major league baseball, that's the issue. It's that this one baseball concept is just too, it's too uh, colonialist for lack of a better term. Like why does everything have to be under the MLB umbrella of some, in some regard in order for y'all to acknowledge it? Like that's just weird. And that's the actual problem. You know what I mean? This isn't just about the Negro leagues. It's about every league across the globe being on some other list. If it's not directly affiliated with major league baseball, that's the concern here, you know, is that they don't seem to understand that people like the game for more reasons than just their own league. And that's really what the big bummer is. Which is so fascinating to me because it's so in love with its own lore. You know, major league baseball loves to talk about the history of the game, right? I think more than any other major sport, it is, steeped in that and so to approach this from the perspective of saying well we're we're granting them major league status by inducting the stats is like that's clearly an entire misunderstanding of what the sport of baseball actually is and and they and they really seem like 
the only major league, uh, the only major sports league in the U.S. to really approach their sport like that. Why? Why do you think that is? Like, what led Major League Baseball to uniquely feel like they kind of have a monopoly? over the sport in this way. Oh, I mean, because baseball, I mean, this is, this is obvious to me just in a basic history context. I mean, it's the oldest sport, which means it goes the farthest back in America with, you know, for lack of a better term, sort of racist practices. I mean, the farther back you go in America, the tighter the hold is on the things that people have that they want to keep controlled within the systems. I mean, that's, you know, the whole, (laughs) that's the whole thing is that like things that were created that long ago, it's not possible that they were created without the discrimination because that's just how the country works, you know? And so when you get to the point of talking about why it's so difficult to change, well, because it would not have existed this way, period, had it not been that way. And that, that's why the point I was making about Jackie Robinson, I think it shocked a lot of people. I was like, yo, like Jackie Robinson's departure to major league baseball killed the Negro leagues. This is a fact, you know, like there's, there's not some long route you have to go as some historian analytical type to understand that when you start poaching off the top talent from the league that is competing with you in terms of the general eyeballs in the public, well, that league is going to get worse. And, you know, I, I talk about this a lot because it's, it's important. And I say, yeah, listen, if you're taking three or four teams and even if you put teams in for what we'll just call the minors, if any leagues across America had accepted Negro League teams. Forget about just the bigs. I mean, we're talking about other minor leagues as well. You know, if the business practices had been egalitarian, well, then we wouldn't be in the situation we are now because like, yo, you you can't just pluck and take what you think is the best and then expect the product to stay the same. You know what I mean? That That's not how that works because you're not acknowledging where that person came from and how that person developed and how everything around what made them them to begin with, to put them on your radar was worth everything that they had in addition. Like that's, that's obvious to me, but you know, the reason why baseball can't let go is because baseball doesn't know how to major league baseball doesn't know how to do it. Otherwise, you know, that that's the operating principle. So it's understandably difficult, but at the same time, I think there's also a different discussion now too about like how owners view what the purposes of their baseball teams are. Like, I don't necessarily think the most owners even like baseball, which is a whole other matter, you know. But yeah, man, it's not I a mean, hot take it, here at all. No, I know, but like the the old. The, I mean, the problem is that the old the old guard of what baseball was was basically, and this is why I called it the American sharecropping, the sharecropping of American sports, is because it was like a land grab. You know what I'm saying? The Negro yeah, Leagues yeah. played at night and invented night games because they wouldn't let black folks play during the day and they wouldn't sell them the land to build their own stadiums. People had the money. You know what I mean? It wasn't like there was some godly force happening other than people were just saying, no, you can't do this stuff, not on our watch. And so it's not really that difficult for me to understand why the Major League Baseball mindset is, well, there's us and everything else because that's the reason why it exists to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, well, it it, it gets back to like the... I think, I mean, baseball to me is like the most, and the owners that helm the teams now are the most like nakedly capitalist about what they go around. Like they don't yeah. try to really put a sheen on it. And it's like baseball is the resource and they're trying to burn everything down and concentrate the resource to themselves. And it's like very convenient for them to go back and sort of rewrite, reaccept parts of the history in the same way that like people who love American history go back and accept one version of the story. Right. And I think that. You know, Alex and I, we've talked about this a lot on the show that baseball 
most closely as a sport mirrors the country probably for what you're saying clinton that has been around the longest and has been run by the same people or the same types of people who have run the country but it's so it's such a the one baseball moniker that rob manford has come up with and that has kind of been pervasive in this current iteration of the commissioner's office to, to me is like the progression from you know like the oil baron capitalist owners into like the McKinsey, like we've come up with a cute little slogan and we're gonna dystop in a dystopian way like control this concept of baseball around the world so that we can continue to profit off of it so yeah. that nobody else can it's offensive too because i think with a lot of the short-sightedness of like the powers that be feels to point like a lot of people are unwilling to point out like yo the reason this is whack is not just because of like generalized representation issues. It's because the product of Major League Baseball is not as good. Like, that's 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 what I think a, a lot of people seem to not understand. It's like, yo, you're cutting your, yourself short here by forcing your viewpoint to be the entire way that everything is operated by, you know? And it's, it's, it's too bad because that's, you know, I mean, I don't want to get into this too far, but that's what the soft supremacy notion is. It's like you can't understand how to operate with anybody else unless you control everything. You know, that's literally what soft supremacy is. And so to say, oh, we're having interest in the game overall, you know, as long as we do it, like, yo, bro, like that's not, that's just not it. You know, I, I don't, I don't, there's no other way to explain it other than no thank you on that mindset because this is what got us to this problem to begin with. And if you can't understand that, well, Okay, but like that's just the reality. One baseball is not a thing. The goal is for multiple baseballs to make up baseball. That's what makes the world go around. Like, come on. Yeah. It it just is so reductive of the the game itself and the Negro League specifically to strip it of all their context and say, well, the Negro Leagues equaled Josh Gibson's 800 home runs, right? right? Like like that is what mattered rather than everything that exists between the lines, right? Um as if you can like tell a, an entire history through a box score, right? Um, right. And that's the main thing. It's like, yo, this box this no again, this notion of box scores in general being the thing that people like about baseball is singularly in like an old white guy major league baseball thing. You yeah. know what I mean? It it just is. You know, you can talk about, oh, well, that's what keeps baseball standing is the stats. Like, no, that's only for certain people, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just not, but those people happen to be the gatekeepers. Those people happen to be the people that vote everybody in the Hall of Fame. Those people happen to be all the sports writers. Do you see the trend? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is not hard to understand unless you really don't want to admit to yourself how obvious this has been in terms of who controls what in baseball, I mean, in terms of the speaking language of baseball as regards to major leagues in this country, it's like, yo, this is, there's obviously all this other stuff here. We know what's going on. We've been on the side of the highway the whole time. Don't try to tell us the cars ain't going by. You know what I'm saying? Just cause you got a new car like this. Anyway, it's, it's, it's really <laughs> weird how it tried to kind of snow us. I, it's just, how do I explain this? It would have been so cool to do it the right way. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And it's like, what, why not? You know? And that's, that's kind of what's that. That's where it gets annoying is where you think, why would you not? But, you know, you know the answer to that. That's what sucks. What, when you say the right way, what, 
what comes to mind for you with that? Because obviously, you know, Major League Baseball shouldn't be the one just like writing these stories and telling these stories, right? They would not do a good job in any way. And it's not their history, right? It's not their place to um, to write the, the story of the ne- Negro Leagues, but it is their place to elevate it, not elevate it, because I hate to use that word, but but right. use their platform to actually um, lift it up to, to more people and acknowledge that, that we had a role in this. Um, from your perspective, what does it kind of um, look like to tell those stories in the, in the right way? I mean, I don't necessarily know that that's a question to be answered right now, but I do think that number one would, would it, it's just, you have to tell stories in a way that you, you know, you keep that same energy as the kids say on the internet, you know, keep that same energy to tell stories <laughs> about other people that doesn't involve you in being so self-reflexively congratulatory. Yeah. You know I, mean? I think that's a huge problem that major league baseball has is that they try to sweat themselves every single time something happens. And it's like, you don't have to do that. You can just do it. And, present it and let people think what they think without it being like, Oh, see, we did that. It's like, yo, like, okay, we're all kind of dealing with the fact that you all have to do everything to begin with. That's the issue. So if we always come back to that, it's, it's not going to work that way. So that conceptually is an operating principle. I think it's hugely important. And number two, you know, the language in this particular case matters, you know, um, elevate is not appropriate. Sorry. It just isn't, you know, as a word to use regarding the concept of status. You're going to get in a real sticky, sticky spot with black folks when you talk about elevating statuses. That's just not comfortable or appropriate. It isn't. Um, and number two, like, especially if that's the only word you're really using in the headline of the deck or whatever, like, I mean, maybe acknowledge, recognize, apologize. God forbid you use the word atone. You know what I'm saying? Like, because when you get to this language, you at least get to understanding the actions it's going to take in order to achieve them. Um, but that's not, that's not a thing that happens. And so when I hear about people trying to compare stats and, you know, they say, oh, it's just the, the amount of misinformation and lack of knowledge about the Negro Leagues is embarrassing. And it yeah, shouldn't yeah. only be Bob Kendrick's job to make sure that the rest of the country and the rest of the baseball world knows that. Give that guy everything he wants for one. You know what I'm saying? And for second, stop trying to hoard all the credit, whatever credit there is to take for yourselves as an, as an organization. You know, you can uplift also is a much better word than elevate if you have to keep it in that context, just so you know. You can uplift other people without centering yourself. And that's something that, for lack of a better term, a lot of white people in America have a lot of problems doing for other people. Yeah, I think... I think there is a fundamental lack of, I mean, this is not surprising because they're an institution that is run by almost all white people, but I think there is a lack of understanding of the phrase and action that comes along with like doing the work, you know, and like doing the work can mean doing what Bob Kendrick does and understanding it and building that up. But doing the work can also mean like living it out in practice right now, which is why when you brought up the example of the Tim Anderson suspension in your article, I, I was like, that is, I would have never thought to draw these parallels, but that is such a profound comparison. It's the same league that suspended a black player for saying the N-word on the field. The lack of understanding, the lack of feel from the commissioner's office giving out that suspension 
is sort of indicative of the same thought process that leads you to believe that this was the right statement to drop. So I, I'm wondering, like, you know, obviously you thought of that comparison and brought that into your article, but I'm wondering what you think of the sort of intellectual gap between how MLB grapples with its history and what it is actually doing literally right now on the field as I it mean, per- yeah that's that's uh, i don't know that there the gap is the gap is the gap i mean I, I there's no other the gap is the reason why i think you know the problems that they claim to solve want to solve exist I, I there's no real way for me to reconcile that that's yeah that gap is what america is that gap is what racism is that gap is what economic um, restrictionism is, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, there's no way to explain that gap on a podcast. I mean, that's what people spend their lives doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, it's hard because if you never acknowledge that gap, well then you dang they don't, as they don't, pick, I wonder you know, if they even right? recognize that gap though. That's, I think that's, that's I mean, a better I mean, I question. A lot of do you think do. that, Listen, I don't do want to, yes, that Manfred I, himself recognizes Manfred that himself is not the issue. I think, I think it's about the gatekeepers of baseball well beyond just the commissioner, but you know, the owners are a big part of this. Um, you know, GMs are a big part of this for a lot of different reasons, but I don't want to knock everybody in the commissioner's office because it's not really about that. It's just about the fact that, like, like yo, that we're we're gonna have to cut out these like press press release platitudes for equality. That that's just not like yo, like it's twenty twenty, dog. You know what I'm saying? We're all in a reckoning about like what's going on, and that just kind of has to go. That's not how anything works anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, and I think that's the easiest way for me to answer that is Major League Baseball does a ton of work in the black community. That's not that's not what we're talking about here. You know, between all the development programs that they have, things that they tried to do with the academies, it's not as if there is nothing happening. But the point is, is that looking like, feeling like you can drop into every sort of community and just bestow pearls upon the peasants and expect some sort of praise like that that whole situation is just not appropriate anymore never mind effective and i think that's something that major league baseball is going to have to try really hard to deal with in terms of how they interface you know it's not just about the proclamations it's about the like i said the interfacing with the communities with the coaches with the leagues with the um you know like facilities people and stuff like that that are that operate in cities on more than just a baseball level on a sports level you know this is not you know, I know that uh, the Nats Academy, for example, you know, it's probably the best collection of fields that exists in the city, flatly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that probably could mm-hmm. be how it should be. But I also know that like every single little league in the city now, every kid wears some variation of a Nationals uniform effectively because they just wanted to take that over from a branding concept. And you're like, you know, like when I was a kid, my team name was the Orioles and we played against the Angels and whatever, whatever. And like, now it's like, and that's what the uniforms look like. But now it's whatever. I, it's simple stuff like that where you're like, dog, like you don't have to control it all. You know what I'm saying? Like that's yeah. not necessary, but that's how they feel they have to run their business because that's what the, you know, when you're competing against the NFLs and the NBAs of the world, you feel like that's who you're competing against. Baseball competing against itself, you know, not another sport. And that's what I feel like they don't want to acknowledge is that the, you know, the popularity concept cannot be shortcutted to via the same avenues as all the other sports because people come to the other sports differently. They just mean different things in our world and trying to sort of self equate that and, and, and market yourself thusly. I, I just don't think it's, it's smart and it, never mind effective. What do you think that the, 
I guess impact is kind of on the history of the the Negro Leagues going forward. Like like long term, this this no starts idea. this starts things I'm, off on the on like the wrong foot. For I sure. have no idea. I mean, I don't I don't I don't know what this changes in any working regard in my life at all. Yeah, I, if I'm being quite frank, you know what I'm right. saying? Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, because there's basically none. You know, um, you know, like I said, and that's not a knock on on all these people who care about this from a history standpoint. I just don't because I know the histories, and that's a personal privilege of my own, but I do the work to know that stuff. But I mean, there's nothing to me that says that's going to change anything about what I think about any of these parties involved, right. you know, which is ultimately what kind of my point is. It's like, so what, you know what I mean? Like you open up the history books, big deal. You know, it's yeah. Like, well, you well, know, it feels I, I like it, it's going to be ultimately harmful, right? Because if 15 years from now, a kid who's getting introduced to baseball is like, oh, Josh Gibson played with Lou Gehrig, right? And their numbers right. are comparable and it was just all, you know, roses and daisies back then. It's, oh, it's, and yeah, and it's like, it was all just had the way that it was because that's how we chose to do it. Like, yo, no, you know, yeah, that's, yeah. Not, that's not the case at all. Like maybe move, I don't know, maybe the Hall of Fame in upstate New York where you do a daggone ceremony at a high school, you know what I'm saying? Like, could use some changes. I mean, that's, I mean, I'm not trying to knock Cooper's down, but like it's amazing how bushly that operation is. You know what I mean? Just from like a largest largeness standpoint, you know, it's like, really, that's, that's how you do this. You know what I'm saying? But that's another yeah. discussion. Um, I just, I, I just, again, I'm kind of being flipped for this time for real because like, yeah, I don't know the solution, like not solution. I, I have no idea what this does for anybody who cares about baseball at all. Oh, great. I could internally psychologically, uh, analyze this as something that is now equal because Major League Baseball told me to, like, what? We're not stupid, you know? When you open up the record books, like, it obviously begs the question, why were they closed in the first place? And I think MLB is sort of, like, not foregrounding that part of it. Why were they closed in the first place? And I think that they will need to do that in the future if they want to maintain any form of of truth and honesty to the emotional and physical and actual experience of, of the Negro Leagues and of these people who played in them and of the families who were impacted by them and of the economic loss that was caused by them. I would agree. But that involves, like I said, reckoning with a larger part of America that I feel like people just are, are ready to do. Yeah. yeah. Clinton, I want to ask you because, like you said, you're one of the biggest baseball fans in the world. Um, I want to ask you, I mean, using the Don Mattingly quotes from last week as a peg, but I'm interested in hearing your... Oh, what did, you sent me that. What did Don say last week? Did I miss this? Did he Don, didn't... First of all, he looked great, by the way, on that Zoom. Did you see him? <laughs> he's got the salt and pepper going with the glasses. I was like... He's Don, feeling really good, baseball. dude. They just made the playoffs. Yeah, they look fantastic. Anyway. When you have the name Donnie Baseball, that's like sort of a fountain of youth. So Donathan Baseball, man. Gotta love that guy. You know what I'm He didn't really say anything profound, and he didn't okay. say anything that we don't rehash like every couple months on baseball Twitter but he basically said the game needs more action so I'll read from a Jesse Rogers uh, tweet who yeah. he summarized what Don Mattingly said in the press conference he just said Don Mattingly echoes what Theo Epstein and many others have said the game needs more action etc Mattingly said the playoffs were tough to watch after his team was eliminated said it's time to even reconsider it's time to even consider regulating the shift and I would suppose I, I would posit that it's fine if you think that, but it's also you also need to acknowledge the fact that this is not the thing that's all caps, scare quotes, killing the game. But I would love to hear your perspective on Don Mattingly, baseball lifers of that sort, Theo Epstein types coming out and saying the game is boring or the game needs this or the game needs an injection of energy. 
Um, yeah, I mean, this to me is is a is a. Uh, I mean, this is a whole sort of sub chapter about like the whole point of why the game being so singularized in the context of scouting socially is the issue. Like, if all the guys that you pick to play and you think embody what is good about baseball only play a certain way. By the time that scales up to the big leagues, that's how they're going to play. Like, this is obvious to me. I mean, the, you know, when there's not a lot of, when the competitive core of the game is run by effectively a certain style of play of white Americans, yeah, that's what you're going to get at the big league level. Like, this is obvious when the skill level goes up. It's like, well, yeah, we're going to play how y'all play because that's y'all the ones picking yourselves to play the daggone game. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a reason why Fernando Tatis Jr. plays the way that he plays. There's a reason why T.A. plays the way that he plays. I mean, people are different, you know what I mean? And that's the point about, excuse me, diversifying the game is that the game gets better. The game gets more fun. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe you got to get some of these red asses out of your league. You know what I'm saying? For you can grow from an entertainment standpoint. Like, this is obvious. I mean, Donnie Baseball is considered one of those red asses in a lot of people's circles. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, it's it's not... It's it's very interesting to hear that from him now that you think about it, it because it's like, I'm sorry, last time I checked, y'all were still beating guys, you know what I mean, for perceived mm-hmm. slights on your baseball team. Like, y'all are part of that squad that does things like that. But at the same time, you know, you had players like Jose Fernandez, the late great, you know what I mean, who did it in a fun way. You know what I'm saying? And like, I, I don't know, this is not that hard to me. It's just like, Pick more fun players to develop and make the game play, and you'll get more fun of a game. If everything is going to be profit margin released and tied to winning and so on and so forth, as you can please whatever shareholders, then you're going to get the most soulless, efficient game that you get. I tell people this all the time. They're like, why do you like minor league baseball and college baseball and high school baseball so much? I'm like, because the dudes make mistakes. They're not that good. And they try more <laughs> stuff and it's more exciting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's plain to see. Like, I didn't grow up around baseball where everybody was such a monster that every single ball you hit to this infield was definitely going to be an out or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, sure. Obviously, there's a certain high level of play depending on how level, you know, how g- big your competition is. But like, you know, I was, I never forget this. I was at the college baseball, uh, college world series three years ago, Arkansas is an out away pop-up left side of the first baseman. He tracks over right fielder screaming in, but second baseman who'd been yamming all day and talking a lot of trash, thought he was going to make this play. Comes screaming in, calls everybody off ball, hits his glove, falls out. Arkansas loses that game and loses the next game and loses the college world series. And they were literally a squeeze away like that kind of stuff just doesn't happen at the big league level because it's just dudes are too good. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to have that guy who's going to do that. And like, the only reason I mentioned that is because the excitement level of baseball and the predictability level at the big leagues is the lowest, you know, because like I said, the talent level is too high, but if the talent level can stay that high, which it can, but the style of play can change, which it can, well, then why wouldn't you try to diversify your game to the point where you get different people who do things different ways? You know what I'm saying? To say that nobody's doing anything exciting, well, that's because everybody's doing the way y'all do it. And y'all's way is not that exciting. Sorry, you're throwing baseballs in people's heads for talking. That's insane. You know, come on. It always, it always stuns me when, like, quote-unquote power brokers within the game, you know, give quotes to media and say, well, here's kind of what I think is is the problem with the game right now, right? Like, it's been sanitized, it's been stripped of its fun. And I'm like, don't say this to the media. 
you're the manager of a baseball team. You have a line to the commissioner of the sport. Like, if you actually think there are issues here, like, there are steps you can take to solve it beyond just saying, yeah, we got a lot of work to do. You know, like, it's... Right, I mean, I and that's, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, and thankfully for, for Donnie, like, you know, the Marlins are a team, with Jeter and Kimming, that are now, you know, sort of at the forefront of some level of development of this. So I'm not just going to act as if he's casting things on people that he's not a part of potentially trying to change. I mean, the Marlins do have one of the more fun teams in the bigs, you know what I'm saying? In terms of that, that element. So I'm not going to knock Donnie for that, but I do think you're right, which is that when people who can make changes just say, Oh, that's unfortunate. It's like, well, come on dog. Like what's you, what's you even doing? You know? So this is the politicians tweeting. We need to fix this of baseball is Don Uh, Mattingly talking on his thoughts and prayers. I mean, on some level, I mean, look, Donnie, Donnie's a guy who I think Donnie's given a lot to baseball um, in a lot of of different ways. You know, even though I think he's, you know, surprisingly on the, there have been a, the Marlins are involved in one too many fracases in the last two, three seasons for me to really be like that comfortable with um, every single thing Donnie says. But I mean, I like him, you know, I just, I just feel like, if it took a generation or two or three for things to get this bad in baseball, yo, bro, you're not going to fix anything overnight with a press release, man. You know what I'm saying? It's going to take... Or like changing the shift, or like regulating right, yeah, the shift. Yeah, right, well, yeah, changing the shift. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, like what I'm saying is that like, yeah, it's going to take a generation or one or two or three to fix, so to speak, as a problem if, if you believe that. So why not just get to work on it? You got to start somewhere. That's what I always say, you know, but... That's 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 hard for some people to fathom because they feel like if they want something fixed, then it should be fixed immediately. But only certain people think that way. <laughs> well, I, I want like one last point on on Mattingly, I guess, in general, and something that you said, Clinton, is that you know Fernando Tatis Jr. Like he could be like he could be Steph Curry levels of popularity. He could I mean, be he is, no, baseball. Right, he is. And he could be Steph Curry levels of revolutionizing the game. Whereas, like, you see people imitating him now. You see people playing the sport differently because of what he did not half a generation ago. You know, five, seven years ago, what Steph Curry did. But I I feel like Steph had such a positive impact, even though he is not that well-liked among other superstars in the NBA, which many people have talked about. If they think he... I don't know. They think he's soft or whatever. They don't like playing against him or whatever. You know, they, they all talk shit to him or whatever. But it's not like coming from opposite coaches, you know? Whereas Tatis does something and like the Texas Rangers manager is mad at him or and the, the pitcher is mad at him. Like it's these people in like institutional positions of power in baseball that are mad at Tatis for trying to revolutionize the game. Whereas like, you know, Adam Silver was like, by all means, give me all of the Steph Curry's in the world. People love to watch this. Steph Curry's is the only guy who's ever won a unanimous MVP, and that's an indication of how much the league respects him. You know, overall, um, I, I, you know, I, I actually don't think of Tatis in this situation. The person I think of is Frankie Lindor, and I'll never forget that game when he he went yard when they were playing in Puerto Rico, and yeah. like mm-hmm. jet engine Dane. I mean, he was crying. It was a whole thing, and like somehow, some way the twins still managed to make a deal out of it. And he ended up like publicly apologizing. And I remember being so embarrassed. Like, are you kidding me? Twins? you're in Puerto Rico. Yeah. He hit a yam and went insane. Like what, how could you even fix your face to say that something was wrong with that? That to me was when I was like, Oh, this is, 
so far gone in terms of what people understand. Like there's this reflex that people can't let go of, you know, and he ended up apologizing, which was so crazy to me and so out of bounds, like that it ever gotten to that point. You know, I do not care what the hell you think was happening there, but what did happen was more important than any of his opponents getting their feelings hurt, you know? And if you can't find a way to maximize those kind of moments as major league baseball, because guys in the AL central have a problem with what happens when a Puerto Rican hits a home run in Puerto Rico. Like, yo, nah, man, I, that's just like, we're, we're just too far off base for anybody to really even understand what's going on here, you know? And that, that to me is the example I think of when I think of like everything that's wrong with all of this is what happened when that scenario unfolded, because that was one of the greatest baseball moments ever. I still tear up when I, when I read about it and when I see it. And the fact that he ended up apologizing for it is, is shameful, basically. Alex, do you have any takes on Francisco Lindor? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about takes. <laughs> I love if him. If he doesn't spend the money to keep that dude there, I'm going to be completely Clinton. unimpressed. No, they need to trade him to the Mets so we can properly refresh this web page and I can appreciate him. Okay, the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> Sidebar, I went to um, City Field one time to watch a playoff game and I didn't go in. I just stayed at the bar like down there on the first level. Uh-huh. I've done in a long time. And they're in the World Series. It was awesome. It was That's the greatest amazing. thing you've done, you said. Yeah, it was great. I mean, watching a game in a bar in a ballpark and you're not actually in the stadium because you can just drink to your heart's content and have fun with all the people who were there doing the same thing. It was great. Fantastic um, venue. I love that. They had one of those deals where they had a small person with a hat that was like hanging out shots. Like it was that crazy. I was like, wow, oh my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Like I was, I was stunned. I was like, oh my goodness, this is were really you like, something. Were you like into it? Were you like, were you rooting for the Mets now or what? Like, oh, no, I mean, whatever. I was just there watching the game. I mean, the point was that it was like a party atmosphere. I was just, I think about that now when I think about the Mets and the possibility of them being like good. I'm like, yes, I will go back to your stadium and watch baseball games, but I will not sit in the crowd. <laughs> You know how to you know how to put on a show for the Maybe. for the people who want to be. <laughs> I mean, it was fifty bucks to get in the bar. You know what I'm saying during the game. But wow, yeah, I mean, you get it. You know, it was on TV. There it was it, they had a whole party going. It was really something. Yeah. Gave away prizes. It was fantastic. Uh, imagine being in a fucking crowded bar watching a baseball game with people drinking till your heart's content. Can't can't be me in 2020. Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> relate. <laughs> Oh, until that day, until that day, Clinton Yates. Thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. Uh, I, no I'll give man. you, the, I'll give you the opportunity to promo anything you want to promo. Not that you need to here on this little podcast. Yeah, Clinton Yates, bro, you know where to find me. It's not hard. <laughs> lady. 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 Okay, thank you to ESPN's Clinton Yates. Very, very cool to talk to Clinton who I've been a good, big fan of guy. for a while and who I've been uh, watching on TV for a while. It's weird that this little little podcast is getting like real media members to come on and talk about real shit that's happening in the baseball world. I don't know. A little <laughs> no, moment of reflection. No shade to all of the other media members who have come on here. No, I mean, also- <laughs> no shade at all. It's, they're all cool that they would co- anyone would come on our little podcast. Yeah. We're coming to the end of 2020, Alex. We're coming to the end of our third full year of doing this. And I feel very much gratitude for the people who have listened along with us in 2020. It's been a very strange year. Um, Alex, this is our last regular episode before the end of the year. 
we are going to be doing what we've done in the past couple of years, and that is a highlights, so to speak, of 2020, our favorite segments um, with guests, our favorite segments of our own throughout the whole year. So um, if you have suggestions for that, you have like one day to get <laughs> to get those into us before we sit down to record that and um, pull out those those segments. But, uh, you know, if you're listening this late in the podcast, I'm sure you'll be happy with whatever we uh, end up choosing. <laughs> <laughs> this this entire endeavor is is a little bit self-indulgent indulgent like the fact that we even do this show week to week and we make it as long as, as we do and we trust that people will stick around with us is very self-indulgent but this is like a whole nother level of self-indulgent when we do this at the end of every year it's like 51 for them and one for us <laughs> <laughs> you know we have to be a little earnestly self-indulgent at least once in a while because I feel like usually we're like maybe self-indulgent but without the awareness that comes with that but yeah. this is the time of year for um, for relishing and basking in that uh, self-indulgent and I hope you all of our listeners too I mean be self-indulgent by not even listening to the recap uh, episode you know <laughs> Like that's self care in 2020. Yeah, you've you've heard all of, if you've heard of all of our episodes, you know what's coming down the pipeline. So if you're if you're a new listener, this is going to be a great end of the podcast. If you are a longtime listener, um, enjoy your week off. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. As always, thank you again to Clinton Yates, and we will be back next week. Everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya!